things of this world really have nothing for us. No. As you come naked from your mother's womb, so you shall return. So the only thing that really matters in our lives is Jesus. Give me Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, continue in the book of Romans, chapter 7. So please turn there in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. And we've been seeing up till now, and we've got a problem to deal with called sin. And no matter how hard we try, and we try all types of things, uh, we can't fix this problem on our own. And we're born with it. We saw that in chapter 5. You know, we're born with this sin problem. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and we all are born with it. It's in us. And without the grace of Christ in our lives, we're, we're just slaves to sin. We're slaves. It's our king. It's our master. Without uh, the grace of God in our lives. And we saw at, in chapter 6, though, that we as believers, when we trust in the Lord Jesus, we have died to sin. And we have victory over it in our lives. It's not our master anymore. In the eyes of God, when we trust in Jesus Christ, that old sinful self died, just as Jesus' body died. Our old self that was the slave to sin is dead and buried, just as Jesus' body was dead and buried. And we are raised to new life in Christ, just as Jesus rose from the dead. This happens spiritually to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. And we saw that in the illustration of baptism. Going down into the water symbolizes our death and burial, and being raised out of the water is a symbol of being raised to new life in Christ. It's beautiful. And so we learned that we should consider ourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through faith in Christ Jesus. You were dead, but now you have new life. And so we, we learn we should, as a result of this, and we're going to see more of this in chapter 12, offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. We're to use our bodies as weapons or instruments for doing what is right and good for the glory of God. And we'll see here in chapter 7 that just as we died to sin, we have also died to the law and are free to belong to Jesus Christ. And so let's look at chapter 7. We're going to look at the first six verses, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And now we're getting into this topic of the law. So since we've been taught, hey, we're dead to sin, alive to Christ, many would have been thinking, well, well what does the law have to do with it then? How does the law factor into all of this? We touched on this earlier back in chapter 4. He's now going to get deeper into how, you know, what's the law got to do with all of this grace and forgiveness and justification and sanctification? And what's the place of the law in our lives now? How do we relate to it? <clears throat> and we see him teaching on that in verses uh, 1 through 6 and throughout uh, chapter 7. So let's read verses 1 through 6 together, chapter 7 says, do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so we, we see our relationship to the law here in, in verses one through six. And he uses an illustration of being married to the law versus married to Christ. And his main point is this. As a believer in Christ, you serve the Lord in the newness of living in the spirit not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. You serve the Lord out of a motivation of joy and love overflowing from your heart in the spirit of God, walking in the spirit, walking step by step in the spirit, being led by the spirit, all that we learned in Galatians. Not in the oldness of following the law letter by letter by letter. It's a new way of living in Christ. Now, it's very interesting for him to say this, since we know from Deuteronomy 6 that Israel was to be careful to do all the law of the Lord and to write it on their hearts, to teach it to their children, write it on their doorposts, keep it before their eyes, bind it on their hands. And Jesus also declared in his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 5, Hey, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. And whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul also says in chapter 7, later on, verse 12, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. And so here in, in the, these first six verses, is Paul contradicting himself and Deuteronomy and Jesus? Is there a contradiction here? What is the believer's relationship to the law? Well, he uses marriage and the marriage relationship as an illustration or an analogy to help us understand. Now, this text is not meant to be comprehensive teaching on marriage and divorce and remarriage. So we're not dealing with that topic today. It's an illustration. It's an analogy concerning the believer's relationship to the law. So look at, let, let's look at verse 1 and work through these verses together. It says, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives? So you know that. He's asking uh, this rhetorical question. You know that. Do you not know? He's addressing his Jewish brothers here, those who know the law, he says, knowing that, you know, they're sensitive to these things. They have a deep concern about what seems to be Paul's belittling of the law of Moses. 
But this also applies to all of us, Jew or otherwise. His primary point here relates to any law. Uh, and if you look at this in the Greek, you'll notice that there's no, uh, the, the construction of the Greek leaves out the definite article before the noun law. So he says, those of you who know law. In the Greek, it doesn't say those of you who know the law. So he's speaking of anybody who knows law, which all of us do. We're all bound by laws. We have speed limits and we have local laws and state laws and we've all seen laws, right? So we understand being what it, what it feels like to be bound by law. So it's obvious now that any law, whether Roman, Greek, or even God-given biblical law, has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. It's the point he's making here. Laws are binding on people. We are under authority of law while we're alive. Laws aren't binding on dead people. We don't drag dead bodies into court and put them on trial. That's the illustration that he's using here. Law is only binding on those who are alive. So that's his first point. Now look at verses two and three. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So again, this isn't a definitive teaching or a comprehensive teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It's an analogy. And it's explaining the point that no law has jurisdiction over a person when they are dead. And Paul calls attention to the fact that marriage laws are binding only as long as both parties are alive. Now, being joined to another man while her husband is alive makes a woman an adulteress, an offender against the law. But to be joined in marriage to another man after her husband dies is perfectly legal and acceptable. A widow is absolutely free from the law that bound her to her former husband. So the application is this. You might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with us today? What, how does this all work together? Well, just as the death of her husband frees a woman from the marriage that had bound them together, believers are made to die to the Mosaic law when they trust in Jesus Christ. This is a complete and final death. You are made to die to the law when you trust in Jesus Christ. Just as your old self died to sin, your old self has also died to the law. You died. That old, nasty, <laughs> sinful self died when you trusted in Jesus Christ. And remember, it was buried. And you've been raised to new life in Christ. And you walk now by the spirit of God in our lives. And so just as you died to sin and sin is no longer your slave master, you also died to the law. You don't need that babysitter anymore. The law was your babysitter. We're going to learn more about that as we move on in chapter seven and what we learned from Galatians. You don't need that anymore. You died to that. And you've been made to die to it as an act of God 
in response to faith in Christ. It's a passive verb. You were made to die. You don't do it on your own. You didn't kill yourself. God made you to die to that. It's not something we do on our own. God does it for us so that we can live in the spirit for him in Christ. And we know from Romans 3 that obedience to the law was never a means of salvation. Romans 3.20, obedience to the law can never save us. The law has power only to condemn us to death for our sins. We see that in Romans 6.23. It has no power to redeem us from our sins. We'll see that more uh, in chapter 7, later in chapter 7. So let's look further at verses 4 and 5. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And so through the body of Christ, who suffered the penalty of death on our behalf, believers are freed from our relationship to the law, just as the widow is freed from her relationship to that former husband. And like that widow, believers, we are free to be joined to another husband, to Jesus Christ. So we're freed from the law so that we can be married to the Lord Jesus. It's the illustration that he's using here. Salvation brings a complete change of spiritual relationship. Just as remarriage after the death of a spouse brings a complete change of the marital relationship. Believers who have trusted in the Lord Jesus were no longer bound to the law and to sin. We're now bound to, we're married to Jesus Christ, the divine bridegroom of his church. And so, verse 6, we're now released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And this is the heart of this brief passage. And it really presents us a stark contrast to the description just given in verse 5 of the unbelieving person. Believers have been released from our old bondage to the law. We were released from our moral and spiritual liabilities and penalties under God's law because believers died in Jesus Christ when he paid our sin debt on the cross. So when you feel that weight of keeping of law keeping and the burden of law keeping, that weight has been released. You're free. You're set free from that. Now, this freedom from the law, it, it doesn't bring us freedom to sin, but it gives us freedom to do what is righteous, a freedom the unbelieving and unsaved person does not and cannot have. As believers, we're dead to the law as far as its demands and condemnation are concerned, but because we now live in the newness of the Spirit, we love and obey God's law with a full and joyous heart. We keep it joyfully, not out of duty or obligation or guilt. 
And we know that to obey his law is to do his will and that to do his will is to give him glory. And so we serve in the newness of the spirit, walking step by step in the spirit, not being dragged down and burdened by the letter of the law. Okay, so that's the, that's the biblical truth. Those are the facts. And the illustration is clear. Now, how does this practically look in our lives? And what, how do, what do we do with this? How should this impact us day to day, living out our lives? There's a couple of different ways you can look at this. One way of thinking when you're, so you can think about this, you know, when you're married to the law. One way of thinking about this, when you're married to the law, before you've been saved and put your faith in Jesus, is to, is to feel continually discouraged and depressed at your inability to keep it. And so some people feel this way as they walk through life. They haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus. And they're living their life day by day, discouraged and depressed and burdened and weighed down constantly because they know they can't keep the law. It's a heavy burden, like a millstone around their necks, weighing them down constantly. You just feel like a big failure all the time. And you sense the wrath of God bearing down on your soul. John 3, 36 says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So if you don't know Jesus in your life, the wrath of God bears down on your soul constantly, and you feel it. You have no peace or joy in your life. No amount of Zen meditation is going to get it for you. You will not have peace in your soul. God seems so distant to you. You know you fall short and you have no hope. You're constantly feeling like one step forward, two steps back. And there may be some of you in this room right now that feel this way. I don't know. There might be. If you do, I beg you, turn to Jesus today. Right now, come to Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him for your salvation and find rest for your restless soul today. Come to Jesus, all who thirst in your soul, and he will give you living water. Come to Jesus, all who are hungry in your soul. He is the bread of life. Come to Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, with the burden of measuring up to the law. And he will give you rest for your soul today. He keeps his promises. He is faithful. And so that, that's one way you can look at this. <clears throat> being married to the law, being bound to the law. When you trust in Jesus, you're set free from that. 
and you're free to live in righteousness and love and joy and peace in him. Now, another way of looking at this is to consider yourself religious and look at the world through a lens of law-keeping and legalism. That's the way you see the world. It's like, okay, put these lenses on here. It's like, okay, I see the world now through these lenses, this lens of law-keeping and legalism. And you have a self-righteous worldview and are proud of your ability to keep the law. And you got a laundry list, long list of things in your mind. Don't eat this. Don't touch that. Don't watch this. Don't do that. Don't go here. Don't go there. Look at how great and holy I am. And you're checking those boxes constantly in your mind. And by the way, you made up the boxes that fit your life well because, you know, you can do those things. <laughs> you left off a lot of other boxes. You're like, oh, that one. I don't like those boxes over there. That's kind of hard. I'm just going to keep those over there. But I got this list right here. And I'm good because I'm checking these off. And look at how holy and righteous and great I am. I'm doing so much great stuff for God. Now, this way of thinking is all about self, and it causes you to be prideful and self-righteous. But instead, when we humble ourselves and understand that we're free from the law, we see the world through a lens, a different lens. Right? So now it's like, okay, I'm trusting in Jesus. I see the world through a different lens of offering ourselves, I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice to God. And I want to change that spirit of law-keeping and legalism to a spirit of humility and service. A serving spirit that sees the world through the lens of love and service to others. Now, when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, you know, these, these are the ones that he called out the most. <clears throat> These are the ones, you know, the, the, the ones that saw the world through the lens of legalism, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Those are the ones he called out the most. And we see a parable about this in Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So these are the ones that they're looking at the world through, man, I am so great. Look at all this great stuff that I do. And man, if everyone else in the world were just like me, this world would be a great place. Everything would be just fine. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I had on a nice robe, looking really good for God here. But the tax collector standing far off, so he wouldn't even come too close, you know, up to the altar perhaps. He wouldn't even get close. Stands far off, way off in the corner, says this. 
would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. So you can see the humility of the tax collector, right? He's down probably on his knees, looking at the ground, might even be laying down flat, prostrate on the ground, would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exhausted. Will it be exalted? <laughs> exhausted too, probably. <laughs> yeah. Humble yourselves. Now, I use this parable often in my sermons because this is the most common experience I encounter in our Southern Baptist church circles. In so many ways, we as Southern Baptists have become the modern day Pharisees. And I'm preaching to myself here. This is the most common experience I encounter. And I've rewritten this prayer and what it might sound like coming out of my mouth today. So as I read you my rewritten paraphrase of this prayer, don't think to yourselves, well, he's picking on me. Because I'm picking on myself. So I've rewritten this and how we might say this today, how I might even think this way today. And so don't think that I'm, be, don't be offended thinking I'm picking on you because I'm preaching to myself and I'm picking on myself. So here's the attitude that I experience and I'm guilty of having myself. So here's what the prayer might sound like coming out of my mouth. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like others. Public schoolers, drinkers, potheads, homosexuals, porn addicts, gamblers, working mothers, vegans, <laughs> mask wearers, <laughs> or even this Democrat. <laughs> I pay a, I pray a few minutes every day. I give a little to the church when it's convenient. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Now you see how deadly that kind of self-righteous spirit is. And I laugh at it, too, when I'm writing it. And I'm like, ooh, you know, that's just a <laughs> deadly self-righteous spirit. And no wonder the lost aren't excited to talk to us about the things of God. Because they, they sense that coming out of our spirit. They can sense it. They can feel it. They're not welcome and comfortable interacting with us because we're so good and they're, they're not going to feel so good when they're with us goody, churchy people. And we even talk weird to them. We use all these weird language that's like, who are you even? Are you real? And that's just the deadly self-righteous spirit. We need to be more like the tax collector in the parable. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We need to be more like that tax collector. You know, because we, we don't think our sins are all that dirty compared to the other people's sins, you know. 
And, you know, as I, I read through the Bible, I see, you know, the, the gossip sin is right up there with the murder sin and the list of sins. And it's like, wow, I don't, we don't think of it like that. But in God's eyes, sin is sin and is disgusting. So we need to be more like that tax collector. And he continues on in Luke chapter 18. If you look at verse 15, I'll read that. We see this transition now from the Pharisee and the tax collector to this illustration of children. He says they were bringing infant uh, children to him. They were bringing even infants to him, the little tiny kids, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Get those kids away from Jesus. He's busy. He's important. Can't be bothered with kids. Get them away. They're just going to trouble him. Get him away. He's been, can't you see? Look at the line of lepers that need to be healed. Come on, people. Get him out of here. No kids here. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. That's all in the same passage there in Luke. And so you can see the, this contrast, right, between pride and humility. The prideful, self-righteous legalist is not welcome in the kingdom of God. There's no place for that in God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is for those who humble themselves and receive it like a humble child. Now, Galatians 5 explains this further. And I encourage you, go back and listen to our sermons on Galatians 5. They're all on the website. In Galatians 5, we have this forceful teaching because we need it so badly. And it's this, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. All the law and the prophets hang on this, and you know it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in those words. But the self-righteous, you know, they seek to bite and devour each other. But those who are living in the spirit show love and service to each other. So you want a good check to see, you know, am I walking in the spirit? Well, you know, am I really loving and serving others or am I biting and devouring others. When you're in that mode of biting and devouring others, you're not in the spirit. He says this in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so we're going to get into that in much more depth later here in chapter 7. But you can see the war, right? There's this war that's going on within us constantly. The spirit versus the flesh. And we feel it in our day-to-day -day lives. And it starts in the heart and it moves up through the mouth and then it works its way out in our hands and feet and the things that we do. 
because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we feel this war in us constantly. These things are opposed to each other and they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Even Paul talks about that later in chapter seven. He says, with my mind, I serve the Lord Jesus and God, but with my body, I am I'm in sin and I'm serving sin. And who will set me free from this body of death? I do the very things that I hate to do. Thanks be to God. He sets us free from this. and He enables us to do what is righteous and holy for the glory of God. Through being led by the Spirit in our lives. Because he says right here, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this is how it ties all together. We're led by the Spirit. We are not under the law. Those two things fight each other to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. So now he gets very specific in Galatians 5, 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Very specific. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, that's fighting, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. You got a problem with your temper? God looks at you like a murderer. What? Did you say I'm a murderer? No, God said it. If you hate your brother in your heart, you, you, you committed murder. You do it in your heart, you've done it. Bits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. You see all the, the fighting that's caused, the disunity. That's why I love the psalm that we read before this message. There's, you know, when you're in the flesh, when you're seeking self, when you're, you know, in that self-righteous place, you see all this happen. All this fighting and strife and jealousy and anger and all that. That's, that's not of God. Dissensions, divisions, envy. That's wanting something that somebody else has that you don't have. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law no law against any of that no one's gonna arrest you for showing love and joy that guy's too happy over there stop smiling cuff him that never happens that peaceful one over there cuff him you know the one that's not doing anything wrong he's just sitting there and peacefully put him in jail yeah, that doesn't happen. Not here anyway. Patience, kindness, goodness. So when you start feeling those other things, right? A whole long list of nasty stuff that I just read. You know, that's when you pray. <clears throat> that's when you pray and cry out to God. God, help me. Help me to, to, to die to, to sin and the flesh and to turn from sin and the flesh and live for you, Jesus, in the spirit. And you memorize that verse, the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.22, memorize it so that you can preach it to yourself. When you're feeling those moments of being tempted to, oh, but they're so nasty, and I, how can they do that? And 
and they want me to do this and I, I don't like them and I want to blah, blah, blah. You just take a deep breath, start preaching love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do it again. And preach that to yourself. No law against those things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you're putting that to death in your life. This is how we practically live this out, day by day, moment by moment. So when your brother is doing something that really gets on your nerves, instead of punching them, and you can just take a few steps back, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. When your sister driving you crazy, with that new song that she just keeps playing over and over again, you just can't stand it. And then some noise canceling headphones. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Don't steal her iPod. <laughs> right? This is how this is how this plays out practically in our lives. <clears throat> and then we bear one another's burdens. He continues on in Galatians in chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So this is a more practical application of how this lives out. Well, back in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So put away the conceit and the pride that causes us to fight because pride causes us to be conceited, to provoke, and to fight. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should throw them under the bus and make it pro public proclamation of just how evil and awful they are. Look at how terrible they are. How could they do that? No, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so he's talking about us in the church this is how the church lives with each other. This is how the church bears one another's burdens and helps one another in a spirit of humility when one of us stumbles and falls to sin. This is how we love our neighbor as ourselves, starting in our own families, starting in our own church community and in our communities. Now, all of this, back to Romans chapter 7, verse 4, all of this is for the purpose of bearing fruit for God. You remember that verse? He said, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. Why? Why did we die to the law? What's the purpose of that? So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, that's Jesus Christ, in order that we may bear fruit for God. It's all about bearing fruit for God. And Jesus said, what did Jesus say? You will know the tree by its fruit. 
serving ourselves and our own sinful passions and our pride and building up conceit in our hearts, all that does is bear fruit for death. Serving one another in love bears fruit for God and his glory. So that's what we take away from this. As we look at this question, you know, what does it mean? Why does it matter that we have died to the law? Well, it matters that we have died to the law so that we can be free to live in the spirit and bear fruit for God in our lives. We are free now to serve in humility and love and show the world that we love Jesus by the way we love each other. They're, they're, they're as much in, or more interested in, in what we do, how we live, how we act, than our self-righteous talk that comes out of our mouths. So we set up the gospel conversation by how we live and how we serve each other and love each other and give generously to each other. So let's have a heart and mind to show kindness and love and mercy and compassion to each other in our families, in our church, in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools. Let's humble ourselves and build others up for God's glory. Let's understand our death to sin and to the law and live a life of love and service to Christ and each other. And let's be the people known for our love, not our laws. Amen.